Just a few years ago, a very dear friend of mine was undergoing treatment for cancer, and I remember sitting with him in in the room where he was receiving some of the, the treatment. And um, I love my friend, but I, I, I always hated going there uh, because it, it always felt like such a dark place. Uh, people are in in these chairs and it just it it seems filled with just sadness and hopelessness. They're connected to these uh, tubes that are bringing these toxic chemicals that are in some ways killing you or trying to kill the cancer uh, that's inside of you. And it was always this real up-close and personal view of the real brokenness that exists in our world. And every single person sitting in that room, whether receiving treatment or there to support a loved one, needed consolation, needed this sense of, of comfort, of coming alongside, needed hope. And there was one time that we were sitting there together and just talking and then kind of out of nowhere, this, this loud bell rang and it wasn't, a, it wasn't a fire bell going off. You looked over and it was this individual who had something like a cowbell that was in the corner just going crazy with this thing. And as I looked around, for me it was strange, but everybody else seemed to know exactly what was going on uh, and everybody started clapping. Um, and then when I, I asked uh, Brent, what was happening, he explained to me that when somebody reaches the end of their treatment schedule or they receive these series of scans that, that show no signs of cancer, it's their opportunity to ring the bell. And, and this ringing the bell is a big deal. It's an opportunity for this individual to celebrate their own personal joy. And it's also an opportunity to share hope with everybody else sitting in that room Wondering if this treatment is working, wondering if they're going to be with their loved ones next, next Christmas. Comfort is real. Tonight, when, when we look at this story before us from the Gospel of Luke, what we hear is two people ringing the bell as loudly as they can. There is good news that they are celebrating personally. And there is good news that they want others to join in. There is good news of comfort, of hope, of joy that is meant to be for all people. If you're driving around town, you're going to see a lot of different nativity scenes here and there. And and with every nativity scene, you'll see kind of the normal characters. You'll see Mary, you'll see Joseph, you'll see... The shepherds, you'll see the magi from far away. You'll even see some sheep on occasion. These are kind of the main stories that come up when, when we share this Christmas story. But, the, but two characters that you will often not see or rarely or if ever see in any nativity scene are the two characters before us. Simeon and Anna. But they have an important place in the Christmas story. And they tell us with their response to this child what Christmas is all about. So throughout the Bible, you will see lots of different characters and you'll hear lots of different stories of people who did often great and sometimes terrible things. Men and women who who use their strength to make some kind of difference for good or for bad. And we're often drawn to these type of people. Power, 
wealth, fame, beauty, influence, intelligence. We think these are the types of people that make the world go round. But in the Christmas story that is before us, the characters that we are drawn to and shown to is simply a dying man and an old lonely widow. These are, in some ways, the heroes of of our story, and they point to the real hero. And where we find them is at the temple in Jerusalem. This would have just been a few days after Jesus was born, still just a little baby, and Mary and Joseph have traveled even further to arrive at this central location to offer these sacrifices. And they could have offered these sacrifices really anywhere with a priest, but For some reason, they are here at the central city. And maybe it's just the gravity of everything they have been told and the wonder of of what they sense they are being brought into that brings us to this central place. But that's where they are. And right away, they meet this older man named Simeon. And we're not told much about him except for that he is righteous and devout. So throughout the Gospels, we'll we'll read a lot about these different religious characters and religious leaders, rather, who often seem to be more concerned about power, about influence, about their own comfort and their own reputation, much more than that of the people. But here in Simeon, we see something very different. What we are told is that here before us is a good man, a genuinely good man. Man approaching the end of his life. It's been said that growing old is not for the faint of heart. And one of the reasons why aging is so difficult is because it really exposes our weaknesses in a new and irreversible kind of, of way. So our bodies are slower. They hurt more than they used to. They don't do the things that we want them to do. Our minds are slower. They don't remember the things we want them to. And it's not just this dip in the stock market. It is this trajectory that doesn't seem to be changing course. It's these new levels of weakness that we are unable to escape no matter how hard we might try. And so Simeon in his final days here at the temple would not have been this picture of Atlas-like strength of a man who can do anything. He is someone who is facing the frailty of old age and who knows that really it's only death that awaits him. And what do we find him doing here in his old age? What it says he's doing, he's spending his days doing, is waiting. Now, powerful people don't wait. Powerful people have the resources to make what they want happen when they want it to happen. If you think about it, waiting is this sign of weakness. It means that there is something that you desire that you cannot bring about with your own resources. And so what do you do? You wait. There's a reason why the Psalms, these biblical prayers, if you go through them, there are so many prayers of waiting. I wait for you, O Lord. For you only do I wait. But what is it that Simeon is waiting for and longing for? That is, what is it that seems to be out of his reach that he cannot bring about? 
says he is waiting for the consolation of Israel. He is waiting for God to bring this long promised comfort and healing and hope and salvation to his beloved people. As people get older, um, and many of us often, even when we're younger, we form what's called bucket lists. And often on these bucket lists, there's kind of adventurous like things of these are the things that we want to do before we finally say goodbye. When you look at what's on Simeon's bucket list, it's very specific. It's one thing, one thing that he waits for, that he looks for. Somehow, maybe in a dream, it was revealed to him by God that he would not die before he would see what's called the Lord's Christ. It had been revealed to him that before Simon shut his eyes for the last time, that with those very eyes, he would see in the flesh the fulfillment of God's promise to send a Messiah, to send a Savior, to send a King. And so he waited. And he waited. And he waited. And then we read, when he sees this child, he knows somehow that this is the child. And we read that he took him up. He took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the nations and for glory for your people, Israel. What did Simeon see in this little child? He saw light. He saw hope. He saw a fulfilled promise. He saw good news for all the world. And when Mary and Joseph hear this, and you have to kind of put yourself in their shoes of what are they... We are able to look back with greater understanding on the story, but think of you if you are there as Jesus' parents trying to piece together what on earth is happening. And Simeon tells them that this little child is, is meant for the rising and falling of many. And he looks at Mary and he says, a sword's going to pierce your own soul also. This child's life and ultimately his death is going, to, is going to hurt you in a way like nothing else could, that only a mother could feel. And as they're going through all of this, our other character comes in, and it's an, it's an old, lonely widow. And, and what we're told about Anna is that she was married for about seven years, and which likely meant she was married sometime in her teens, which likely meant that her, her husband died when she was in her 20s. And here she is in, in her 80s, having waited for 60 years. And as she sees all that's going on, she knows too that this is the one that we have been waiting for. When we look at all the problems of the world, when we, lead all, we read all that's going on in the news, all all of the solutions that we are looking for are somehow found in this promised child.
But I want to be clear here that in their celebration, in their wondering at the gift of this child, this child did not fix all of their problems. Simeon still faced death. Anna still faced loneliness. The message of Christmas is this loud bell ringing out in the darkness, ringing out in the night that God has done something for us. But as we look around, we realize that it did not fix everything. During the Vietnam War, they would try to arrange these truces on December 25th so that on Christmas Day there would be no fighting. And for many of the soldiers, it was just a reprieve of maybe an opportunity for 24 hours to forget about the war and just celebrate memories or time with, with friends, even being away from family. But December 26th would come, and with that, bombs would start back, planes would start back, guns would start firing. Uh, we still live in a world that is marked by deep brokenness. And I want to close with uh, a longer entry from my friend's journal as he was sharing his own story. As he saw others ringing the bell and as he faced uh, the reality of cancer growing inside of him and not stopping. He said, Sunday after Sunday, those of us who claim to follow Christ, we attend church services like this, singing, praying, worshiping, even taking communion, and all while carrying burdens that we pray would be lifted or that we'd be strengthened to bear. But how many of us feel stuck going through the motions? No change has occurred. Secretly, we close our hearts and stop imagining a fulfilling future and just be effectively hopeless. As I sit in this clinic called the living room, receiving toxic chemicals meant to kill cancer, I glance periodically at the cowbells sitting on the counter at the nurse's station. There's supposed to be hope there. If your treatment schedule has an endpoint or you receive scans showing no signs of cancer, you can pick up the bell and ring it. Not only is it cathartic for the individual, it's also meant to be an encouragement to patients in the room still fighting that there's hope. I've seen people ring the bell and I confess to feeling skeptical. Though happy and hopeful for the person ringing it, I'm hesitant to believe that I can one day be free of this disease. I've even rung the bell twice. The first was back in 2013 after finishing my first round of chemo, and I can tell you that I definitely shook that bell half-heartedly. And last summer, after finishing six weeks of radiation at MD Anderson in Houston, I rang the bell with vigor, angry, wanting cancer to die. Unfortunately, in both cases, I found myself back at the clinic receiving chemo, continuing to fight. Was I ringing the bell in vain? And do we ring our bell in vain? These bell ringing events have reinforced the lie that says the gospel is not what it promises, that I should put my hope in the things of this world, the things that I can 
see and touch even good things like cancer drugs. And ultimately, that the message we hear on Sundays is not about the source of life, but merely good motivation for the new week. That the solutions to our deepest problems are found elsewhere. But this has no bearing on my greatest hope. One that provides peace no matter the circumstances. It is well with my soul. Even if every person in the world were to pray on my behalf for a good outcome from the upcoming treatment, God can still say no. And this, of course, sounds bad, but has no bearing on God's character, particularly His goodness. I confess that I'm still learning to accept and trust Him in this. But my security is in God asking His own Son to die on a cross with a promise to bring Him back from the dead and then being true to His Word on the third day when Jesus was resurrected. My story is part of God's story. Uh, Brent knew that even in the face of death, there was good reason to ring the bell. In the darkness, a light has shone. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And we are ringing the bell together this night for ourselves, hopefully, and to share this hope for others because we bring so much pain and brokenness and confusion into this room. And we all look together towards the day when because of this little child, there will be no more darkness. There will be no more death. There will be no more sin. And there will be no more suffering. As the last words in the Bible say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Merry Christmas. Amen.